Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. We have an opportunity just to share a, a little bit of, of story, and I want to invite Ben up. Um, ben is sharing the story, and he's also preaching today, so you guys are really fortunate. Um, but we, we're in this beautiful opportunity right now where we have, uh, we're jumping into a new series called The Rhythms of Grace, and we're, we're on the march towards Easter. As any of you have a chance to celebrate Ash Wednesday or observe Ash Wednesday, I guess would be the better way to put it. Um, I did at my house, uh, which was not as fun as being with you all. Um, but it's a march towards Easter, and we enter into this season of, of death and resurrection. And so Ben and I were chatting a few weeks ago just about just this whole idea of death and resurrection. So Ben, like, how are you being shifted and shaped by death and resurrection in this season? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> in lots of ways. Uh, but I've been, I've been reading a book, <laughs> I think for over a year and a half. That's how long it takes me to read uh, a book. Um, I'm still not finished, but one of the things that struck me is he, he wrote about how Good Friday is, is not good <laughs> except for Resurrection Sunday. And that, I think that, uh, duh, like, but if you think about that, the story of what happens on Friday um, is, is atrocious. What happens to Jesus, there's nothing good about that except that Sunday happens and Jesus is raised from the dead, bringing a whole new meaning to the suffering that he experienced. Uh, if it wasn't for Sunday, we wouldn't be here. Uh, we probably would know very little about what crucifixion even is. We definitely wouldn't be wearing crosses as jewelry, right? Like, there's nothing good about and so, how is God at work in the midst of suffering and pain of death and destruction to bring about resurrection? And I think about that in my own life. Um, I also, in this same book, he shares the story of a guy by the name of Vedran Smilovich. I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. But um, in, the early, in the early 90s, there was a terrible war and part of that war was a siege on the city of Sarajevo, one of the worst sieges in modern history. And part of the siege, like, just continued shelling of the city. And in one of these bombings, there are 22 people who are in line to buy bread at the market, and they are all killed in this bombing. And, and Vedran, who lived in the city, is a fantastic cellist. And so what he does is he goes out to where all these people were killed, and he just pulls up a chair, brings his cello, and he starts playing. And he plays for 22 days to honor each one of the victims. And so here's a picture of, this isn't the actual, but 
you can see in the midst of the rubble, in the midst of the destruction, he's bringing about beauty as a prophetic witness against the war, but also to honor those who have lost their lives. And then after the 22 days, he continues to play in different parts of the city. Um, and then I had a chance to, to visit with Mike and Deanne earlier this week, uh, who just came back from, from Turkey. Uh, welcome back, Mike and Deanne. We're so glad you're back. Um, but they were sharing some of their stories of their experiences, and then they've been sending out some email updates about what's going on. And in the same way that this man took beauty, the beauty of music, in the midst of destruction, the church in Turkey is responding and entering into these, these places uh, of destruction in these places that have been ravaged by earthquake, and they're bringing about beauty, they're bringing about hope uh, in the midst of devastation and loss and hopelessness. They're bringing about the good news. And that's what I think death and resurrection is. That's who we're called to be. We're the Renew community. Right? So we're called to enter into these spaces of death, enter into these places of pain, enter into these places of hopelessness, to bring beauty, to bring goodness, to bring resurrection as we partner with God. Um, and so as we move toward Easter, and, and we've done this in the past where we've used art as part of our, um, our Good Friday and Easter worship, and so this idea of death and resurrection, this idea of beauty in the brokenness is striking a chord at all with you. Um, maybe it sparks an idea and you're like, actually, I think I could create something. Um, you're not sure what that would look like, but it's intriguing to you. I would, I'd just say, pull out your phone right now and email Aaron and say, hey, I'm interested in creating some art as part of that worship. Um, if you're an artist and you're like, I don't have an idea, but I love creating, um, so just send me some more information, uh, welcome you to do that. Um, but that's, that's part of our worship time together is how, how is God at work in the midst of the brokenness that we experience? Um, there's a couple of verses that have been shaping um, how I, how I kind of think about this. One is from Isaiah 61. Um, and this is, we actually sing a song that includes part of this. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then in Hebrews, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the, the beauty and the brokenness, the joy and the shame overlapping um, is kind of what we're thinking about in terms of that art. So if that interests you, um, please email Aaron, talk to me. Um, we'd love to include some of those art pieces as part of our, our worship time. Um, I think that's all I have. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And yeah, I think what's been really encouraging is just having this intentional march towards Easter is allowing this idea of death and resurrection to just marinate and stew in our lives. And again, if you're a creative, and that doesn't matter whether you're, so what I'm hearing you say is whether you're a painter or a photographer or a poet or a short story, you know, maybe you're a writer or really good with crayons, any of those mediums yeah. are welcomed in terms of helping us to 
be people that are fixing our attention on that transformational story. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And you may not think of yourself as an artist, but like, I don't know, God, is, God has created you with some artistic ability, whether you own it or not. Um, Amen. So this is the space to experiment to. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the reality that Good Friday is not good without Sunday. And Lord, as we are moving through a season like Lent, and as we are reminded of the ashes that we have come from and the ashes that we will return to, may we rejoice and be glad because we are ashes that you have breathed beauty into and called us to be people that are bringing this beauty of the resurrection of the love of the Father into a world that desperately needs to know the love of the Father. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to see, help us to hear, help us to respond to your goodness and to your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Yeah, I I actually, I want to call a bit of an audible here. Um, we weren't planning to do this, but it occurred to me this morning that it would be good. Uh, Mike and Deanne, could you come up and pray, uh, lead us in prayer uh, for Turkey and the church there? Father, we thank you that you are a God who brings beauty out of ashes. You bring uh, the oil of joy in place of mourning. You bring gladness uh, where there's a spirit of despair. And Lord, all those negative words describe the population of Turkey right now in Syria. Lord, as they try to recover from the tragedy that has hit them, and Lord, as the news begins to fade from the media, uh, we realize this is a, a long-term situation that uh, people will be dealing with for months and even years to come. But we ask you to step in and to meet the, the very real physical needs of these, these people. We thank you, Lord, that your church does exist. It's small, uh, minuscule, uh, very few in numbers, weak in uh, human terms. But Lord, uh, they are getting involved and doing what they can and uh, showing your love and your mercy and in distributing aid and helping uh, victims of the earthquake. And Lord, we ask for strength, for, for joy. We pray that uh, the people of Turkey will see Jesus in the lives of those uh, of the, the church in Turkey who are reaching out to, to, to bring uh, uh, help and, and uh, relief. Father, we ask you to turn this whole situation into uh, something that becomes a, 
a milestone in your, your kingdom being built in places like Turkey and Syria. For your, that your church would stand strong, that many people would be drawn to, to see Jesus as a result of the, the tragedy they've suffered. And we ask this in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, that you are the God of miracles and you are doing miracles in Turkey right now. We just bless your holy name. Thank you for every life that was saved. And Lord, we pray indeed that each one will have the opportunity to respond to your gospel. I too, I just agree with everything. We agree together with everything Mike's just prayed. And Lord, you know, you know the miracles that have already happened because you've done them. And Father, we are praying, Lord, that this will spread your church. Lord, that people will not grow weary of well-doing, but Lord, that you will give them everything they need. And Lord, that as they minister to them physically, Lord, you will give every opportunity for them to minister to their souls. Oh, Father, we pray that this will be a turning point in Turkey where many, many people will come to know you. Praise you, Lord, that you love the Turks so much. You died for them, and you rose again, and you want them to come into your kingdom. So, Lord, we just commit Turkey. We commit the government, the aid people, everyone that's involved, Lord, that lives will be saved and that souls will be saved. So, Lord, we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. I want to start the, the teaching just with a, a picture um, and just ask, what do you see? This is not a rhetorical question, so if you, it's not a trick question either. What do you see? Grapes. Leaves. A vineyard. Are these grapes like struggling or are they doing well? Just a few grapes or a lot of grapes. It's fruitful. Um, do you see anything else? Order? Yeah. What is, so anybody see this? No, it's maybe a little bit hard to see out there. There's another picture, um, a little bit different variety. So what else do you see besides the grape and the plant? A support. So this, this support, these structures are, anybody know what they're called? A trellis. A trellis. And a trellis is, is frequently used actually as a metaphor for, uh, in spiritual formation for practices and also for this idea of a, a rule of life. Uh, the idea being that a trellis is a support and some structure that actually helps the vine and the grapes be more fruitful by lifting them up um, to help the plant thrive. And, and the English words rule and regular and trellis all kind of come from the, the, the Latin word regula. Uh, I have no idea if I pronounced that right, but... Um, so they're all connected in this, this Latin word. 
And so a rule of life is the rhythms, the regular practices, the structures, the trellis, the habits that you have in place in your life. Whether or not you've ever heard of a rule of life, you actually have one. Things that you do on a daily basis, things that you do from week to week, routines and patterns that mark your months or your years. Whether or not you've put a lot of thought into that or it's just developed kind of subconsciously, you have a rule of life. But uh, Jesus' followers have been called to mark their rule of life, adapt their rule of life to the values, the teachings, and the practices of Jesus. And so the idea of a rule of life Jesus' followers and monastics for centuries have used, how do we pattern our lives after Jesus to cultivate abiding with Christ, to produce gospel fruit, to the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, and, and so in this season of Lent, we want to take some time to think about, to explore some of these practices and these rhythms. We've entitled this series Rhythms of Grace, which is connected to Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. This is a beautiful, beautiful invitation from Jesus, probably familiar to many of you. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Some of you may be familiar with with, uh, the paraphrase of this in Eugene Peterson's message where he writes this passage, Jesus saying, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so yoke, you may have a picture of what a yoke is, that two animals would have this yoke that they carry, but it was also a word used to describe the teachings and the practices of a rabbi that they would then pass on to their followers or their disciples They would pass on their yoke, and a yoke binds two animals together where the the mature animal is teaching the younger animal the ways, the rhythms of what it means to carry this yoke. And so the, the rabbi would teach and carry that burden to show the disciples how. And Jesus describes his yoke, his rule of life, as easy and light, humble, gentle, restful, marked by grace. Now, it's not to say there isn't high challenge in what Jesus teaches his disciples, right? You read the Sermon on the Mount, and I challenge you to not be challenged by what Jesus teaches. But it's also high grace. But he invites us to conform our lives to his, to adopt his rule of life, his rhythms, And so in this season of Lent, we want to explore some of these practices that can help us 
walk in step with Jesus, these rhythms of grace. Our, our list is not exhaustive. Uh, there are many fantastic books that have been written about rule of life, about spiritual formation. The Good and Beautiful You is, is one of those books um, by a guy who's, who spent a lot of time thinking about these practices uh, and these rhythms. But here's the big thing we want to challenge you with, that we want to invite you into in this season, simply to reflect on the rule of life that you have, whether or not you were aware you had one when you came this morning, you have one. What are the rhythms, what are the habits of your life? And how might God be inviting you to tweak them or change them drastically? to reflect the values and the teachings and the practices of Jesus. We've been talking a lot about seeking God's presence here at Renew, that we wanna be a people who are committed to seeking God's presence. And what these rhythms of grace do is they encourage us to seek God's presence, but they also open us up to be more present to what God is saying and doing. They shape us. So we wanna cultivate these rhythms and habits to help us to be present to God. And so I wanna begin with a passage in Luke 5, Luke 5, verses 27 through 35. Uh, could I have a volunteer actually to read this passage? And you can read it on the screen if you can see it, uh, or you can read it from your Bible. Any, anybody wanna volunteer to read that this morning? Dave, thank you. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax, tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home, and as Jesus and had Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciple, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Keep going, there's another oh, side. <laughs> Jesus answered them, healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are you, your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, what did, what did you notice? Anybody, what, what did you notice? Anything stick out to you or a question arise? Again, not a rhetorical question. Hmm. The things you do on a regular basis may not be the things you should be doing. Yeah, anybody else 
notice anything in this passage? Prayer and fasting connected. Yeah. Resentment. Resentment. Of who? From him. The Pharisees were resentful. Hmm. Uh, I, this has nothing to do with what I plan to teach on, but I was reading this passage again this morning, and I, I, when, when Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, I was reminded of the passage we, we read in January of, uh, of Abraham and how God called Abraham to leave behind everything to follow him, and that's what Jesus does to, to Matthew or to Levi. And Matthew leaves everything behind, and Jesus then wants to bless Matthew to be a blessing to other people. And we talked about that back in January. Again, nothing to do with what I was planning to teach on, but uh, anything else? Any RISE students have anything? Not to put you on the spot, but you usually have some good insights. That... Dennis. What's John got to do with it? John the Baptist. Good question. Yeah, anybody else? Anybody know anything about, this is to Dennis' question, about John's diet? What do you know about John's diet, Dan? <laughs> he eats bugs. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to call our attention to to this rhythm, this rhythm of grace, the rhythm of fasting and feasting. The rhythm of fasting and feasting. Uh, so Jesus was actually known for his feasting, right? And he gets in trouble with these resentful Pharisees. He's called a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, in other places, he's called a lush, if you will. And he's accused of partying and feasting with the wrong people, scum, as this translation puts it, tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus had this reputation of feasting, but we also saw last gathering that Jesus fasted, spent 40 days in the desert fasting. Um, so we know that Jesus practiced this rhythm of fasting and feasting. And in this story, Jesus is asked about well, what about John and his disciples? They fasted, but you and your disciples don't seem to do that. What's up with that? And Jesus' response is this. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And it seems that essentially he's saying fasting is for seeking God's presence. Feasting is for celebrating God's presence. Fasting is for seeking God's presence. Feasting is for celebrating God's presence. God is in your midst. So the appropriate response is to celebrate and party. Someday I'm not going to be here, and then you can fast to continue to seek the presence of God. So I'm actually pretty excited to talk about fasting and to continue practicing it. I will confess I'm, I'm not a good faster. I've not done it uh, a ton in my life. Um, there's a few occasions I can think of where I've had like a significant experience of fasting. Uh, 
But over a month ago, I think the beginning of January, I, I sensed that the Lord was calling me to fast, not necessarily from food, but from, uh, honestly, from t- some technology usage. And I'll be honest that I was pretty reluctant to do it. Actually, Jenny, my beautiful wife, uh, separately, we didn't have a conversation about this, but one day she said, I feel like I need to fast from, from screens. And I was like, I've felt that too, but I was like, I'm not ready. <laughs> um, so I confessed that I was resistant and reluctant to that. But finally last week, I was like, okay, like I've sensed God calling me to this and I want to be obedient. I'm so grateful for God's patience in that. And I, yeah, just changing some habits, uh, fasting from some things that had developed into habits kind of subconsciously. Um, and I won't say it's been like earth shattering. It's not like I'm a whole new person, but I will say I'm, I'm encouraged by how I've seen God at work uh, in the new, new habits and new rhythms uh, that have come from this fasting experience. So I'm excited to talk about fasting. I'm excited to talk about feasting too, because who doesn't love a good feast? Um, I'm excited to, to feast after our worship time this morning. But again, fasting is for seeking God's presence. It's not some like magical and manipulative religious practice. We're seeking God's presence, but it doesn't mean just because we fast that we're like rubbing this lamp and God's going to show up. Genie God shows up and gives us whatever we want. That's not what fasting is about. But fasting is about reorienting us. Fasting reorients us. It is an act of repentance, a bodily act. And in different passages in the Old Testament, we see this. So in Joel 2, which is frequently read as an Ash Wednesday text, in Joel 2, we see this. It says, God has, has, through his prophet, said, hey, destruction and judgment are coming. But in chapter 2, he writes this, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Uh, And then similarly in Jonah 3, familiar at all with the story of Jonah, um, won't go into the whole story, but God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh with the simple message, hey, destruction is coming to your city. God is bringing judgment because of your wickedness. And Jonah preaches this simple message and the people of of Nineveh respond. In chapter three, it says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The king issued a proclamation and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Let them call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. So we see this connection between repentance and fasting. Not that people needed to to turn from eating food. That wasn't the sin, but it's this bodily representation of what it means to turn and to seek God earnestly. Turning from sin was demonstrated by this fasting, to seek God and his forgiveness and to seek a new way of living. 
I've often heard repent described as making a U-turn, right? Walking in sin, like this is not the way. I need to turn around and seek after God. And I think that's a really helpful picture of what it means to repent. Uh, but recently I've been, I've been kind of thinking like, there are actually times where I'm generally walking, I think, in the right direction, but sometimes I need to make a turn. So sometimes repentance isn't actually a full U-turn, but like on the right path, but need to make a turn to keep going in the right direction. And sometimes it's more like, all right, I'm going, go. I need to veer left a little bit here. Um, or to put it differently, uh, thinking like geometry, like 180 degrees, that's the U-turn, right? Like sometimes it's 180 degrees, but I've become more and more aware of my life that there are actually a lot of times where I need to repent and it's more of like a 15 degree shift. Uh, and I th think this was part of like those habits. Something, it wasn't necessarily an evil thing that I was doing. And if I only did it a few times, like, yeah, I'm walking in a good direction. It's great. Like every once in a while, I love to, to pick up the game of FIFA and play it. Like, great thing. Sometimes I want to pick up my phone and, and read about how the twins are doing because I'm a big twins fan. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if it becomes a habit, all of a sudden it's pulling me, even though my desire is for God, it starts pulling me a little bit just off course enough. And so that repentance is like, all right, time to get back on track here. Time to get back on track. And so that's, that's so fasting has this reorienting repentance, but it's also re-rhythming. What are these habits that God might be inviting me to change? Something as innocent as just checking your email, where all of a sudden it's become a habit, where every time you pick up your phone, you feel like you have to check your email. Do you? Or something like checking out TikTok videos or YouTube videos. Nothing inherently evil, depending on what you're watching, I guess. Um, but if that becomes the habit and all of a sudden that's consuming a good chunk of your day, a good chunk of your time, maybe God is inviting you to re-rhythm and consider, hey, it might be time to fast from that just to see how much of that time and attention that is, that is getting from you. So fasting reorients us. Fasting also helps curb consumerism helps curbs our consuming. The very nature of fasting is to stop consuming, right? To stop eating for a period of time or fasting from other things, stop consuming social media, stop consuming entertainment for a period. Our culture is built on consumerism, right? The world we live in is about consumerism. We are discipled to be consumers, but that is not who we were created and called to be. Not that consuming, like we need to eat, not saying we should all stop consuming food, we would all die. There's certain elements of consuming that are healthy and good for us, but we are called to create and to cultivate, not just merely consume. And so fasting uh, moves us away from this consumer mentality and back to this creative mentality. Isaiah 58 is a beautiful picture of what God desires out of fasting, and he's talking about this very thing. I don't know if we can, there's a beautiful reading of Isaiah 58 that's much better than I can read it, 
So if we could play that, that would be great. If not, um, you'll be stuck with my reading of it. Cry aloud, shout, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? They act like righteous people that would never abandon the word of God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Why aren't you impressed? Here's why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. You fast, but you argue and fight over small things. You fast, but you attack those who don't think and act like you. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You go through the motions, bowing your heads like plants, bending in the wind, dressed in clothes for mourning. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to God? This is the kind of fast I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to lighten the burdens, to free the oppressed, to cancel the debts, to share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, to clothe those who need it. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. They are your family. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will go behind you. You will call and God will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, here I am. Remove the heavy burden of oppression. Do away with the gossip and finger pointing. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in the sun and God will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the emptiest of places, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Restore, renovate, rebuild the broken in your community. Raise up the old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken systems, restorer of home and community. I love that passage uh, and just this shift, right, from this religious practice of saying, God, look, like we're doing it. We've got this. Aren't you happy with us? Aren't we awesome? God's like, no, it's not what I've created you for. I've created you to cultivate, create justice, mercy, to be people of compassion, people who are creating goodness, people who are cultivating love and beauty in your communities, people who are people of renewal. So fasting is meant to draw us back to this identity of people who are creating and cultivating communities of justice and compassion. And what happens when we do that? The presence of God shows up in all its fullness. God says, yes, here I am in the midst of this work. You'll be like a well-watered garden as I show up and rejuvenate you for this beautiful work. Fasting draws us to seek fully the presence of God. By refraining from created things, the consumption of created things, we have time and space to focus our attention on our creator. 
to have our affections, our desires, and our thoughts reset on seeking after our beautiful Savior, Jesus. And so I just want to ask, how might the Spirit be inviting you to fast in some way this season? Maybe it's small, maybe it's big, uh, but I just want you to, to consider that. All right, now I want to move into feasting. So in our text in Luke 5, Jesus is at a banquet, a party, a feast. And I mentioned earlier, he's accused of doing this a bit too often. He's a a glutton and a drunkard. So feasting, we can see, was a regular practice of Jesus because he says, when God shows up, when God the Messiah shows up, the appropriate response is to party. So feasting is a practice of celebrating and commemorating the presence of God in our lives. The the presence of God, God's work of deliverance, God's work of redemption, we are supposed to mark this with celebration, with a feast. And so that's what Levi, what Matthew does. He's a tax collector, not working in the ways of God. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, follow me instead, and redeems his life. And Matthew's response is, all right, I'm in. Let's have a party. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me. In the Old Testament, we see uh, God delivering his people out of Egypt. And what does he do? He has them celebrate with a feast, this Passover feast. And then he commands them to practice this regularly. You need to remember this feast. You need to celebrate this to remember my redemptive work, my deliverance upon you. And he commands some other feasts as well. The feast of first fruits and the feast of the ingathering or the completed harvest. And so these these feasts celebrate God's redemptive work, the movements of God, but they also celebrate God's uh, faithfulness. The first fruits, hey, God has been faithful to see us through this season. And we trust him. We're gonna actually offer sacrifices from our first fruits to say, God, this belongs to you. We trust you to to keep providing for us. And then we have another feast at the end of the harvest to celebrate God's abundance and his provision. And and I think actually most of us are probably fairly decent at feasting, probably mark birthdays, anniversaries with feasting. Um, This is one of our family's feasts. Uh, Every September, we mark the day that we were able to finalize adoption of Dan and Tristan uh, we remember that day, we celebrate, we feast on this monster donut from Yum Yum. Uh, there's other food because just eating that would probably uh, send my boys into sugar-induced actions. Um, but we have feasts. We have eggs and, and, and a delicious breakfast with a breakfast dessert of a giant donut. It's important for us, that's become our tradition to get this donut because it's important for us to remember that uh, and to remember how God brought our family together. And so we have these feasts. I think the trick for us is, is that we remember to make, I love the phrase in the New Living Translation of this banquet that Matthew has, to make Christ the guest of honor at these feasts, right? So we celebrate God's presence by making Jesus the guest of honor in these places. All right, so feasting is is this important way that we celebrate God's work in our life. 
And feasting also creates community. Uh, and we have these regular rhythms. Every month we have a feast. It's called community dinner. And it creates community. It's actually a place where not only is community being created, but it's this place where we actually get to practice compassion and maybe be led in ways of, of practicing justice with folks, of sharing this feast with them. And it's creating this feast with, with Christ again as the guest of honor as we share a story about Jesus and his goodness. So feasting is this very important piece in the rhythm of being a follower of Jesus. And I think for us as a community, uh, I was thinking about this as I read Exodus and the three feasts that God commanded. All right, what would the three feasts of renew be? I think Easter, Resurrection Sunday, if ever there was a time at a feast to celebrate the work of God, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. And, and you all probably have some Easter traditions with your family, but this year we wanna mark our Easter worship with a feast. Uh, so we're planning that, that at Resurrection Sunday, our worship gathering is going to include a feast to celebrate the redemptive work of God. I think another feast in, in the rhythm of our community is baptism that we have a potluck picnic to celebrate that Jesus has rescued these people who have given their lives to him. But we also mark and remember our own baptisms at this feast. And it's an opportunity to invite friends and family and say, we celebrate what God has done at this baptism. And the third one that, that I think would be important for us is, is Christmas. And so I think in the life of our community, Joy Sunday of Advent has been an, an important marker of the work of God. And so this December, when the Joy Sunday of Advent comes, we're looking to, to have some joy with a feast because we celebrate that God became flesh. God sent his one and only son to become flesh for our salvation. This is the significance of feasting. But I also want to invite us into, I'm so glad we have potluck because community is created and we get to mark the redemptive work of God, even as we have these potlucks after our worship time. But I want to encourage you uh, as I close this time. So I posed the question earlier, how might the spirit be inviting you to fast? And maybe it's just, hey, one day a week during Lent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from food. Or maybe it's like, at some point during Lent, I want to go two days as a fast of food. Uh, maybe that's not healthy for you. Maybe it's, uh, I'm going to fast from, from social media. Whatever that is, I just want to invite you to consider, how might the Spirit be inviting you to fast in this season? But then also, what do you need to celebrate? What feast do you need to have at some point? to celebrate God's goodness and provision in your life. Maybe it's you bought your house. You're living in your home and you can think back to, hey, I remember when we closed on this house. And this year on that date, we're gonna have a party with our neighbors. We're gonna say, God has provided for us to be able to buy this house. And we're so glad that we get to live in this neighborhood, be part of this community because of the provision of God. So we're gonna have a feast just to celebrate God's provision in that way. I don't know, there are lots of, lots of ways that you could feast. 
Um, but I wanna, I wanna just offer this, this challenge, this invitation, two times during Lent, two times during the season of Lent, I wanna invite you to share a meal, one with people from Renew, just to mark the work of God in your life. And maybe it's you wanna have a feast as a house church, or maybe it's just one other family in Renew. And I want to invite you and challenge you to have a feast uh, or share a meal. It doesn't have to be super elaborate. Uh, but with somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, fantastic if it's one of those five people you've been praying for that you wrote down back in January. Or maybe you haven't been praying for them, but this is your reminder to go back and look at that list. Say, maybe I could share a meal with them. And maybe there's an opportunity for me to share what Jesus has done in my life. Um, so that's my challenge to you. I want to pray as invite the, the worship team uh, back up. God, I thank you that you are a God who likes to party. When you do miraculous things in our life, when you redeem people, when you work in subtle ways, you invite us to celebrate your goodness. The appropriate response when Jesus shows up in our lives is to throw a party and feast. So we thank you for those rhythms in our life where we have opportunities to feast and to celebrate and to enjoy your goodness and your beauty, your love. And God, I thank you for this rhythm of fasting where you invite us to consider how we might more earnestly seek you if there are things in our lives that, that are sin and we just need to turn from and fast from forever, or if there are just little things that have become habits where you want us to fast so that we can give our mind space and time to, to seek after you, where you want to reorient our affections and our desires for you. to help us be more present to you as we seek your presence. Jesus, you are wonderfully good. And I thank you for the ways that you have worked in so many of the lives of the people in this room. I pray that in this season, that you would draw us to take up your yoke, to move with you in the unforced rhythms of grace. Holy Spirit, come and and do a mighty work in our season, in this season, in our lives to bear abundant fruit, the fruit of your gospel, the fruit of your spirit in our lives. That we would be people who are creating and cultivating beauty and goodness, love and joy, peace, justice in our lives, in our families, in our communities. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.